As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk Podcast with Charlie Romelli. It is James Dubow. I am Pat Boyle. Blackhawks, the losses starting to pile up. 19 losses in their last 22 games after falling to Vegas uh, 4-1 to on Thursday night. I guess the big challenge now, uh, it, Charlie, really is, is trying to stay positive with very little positivity in the, the win-loss column. Yeah, it's definitely trying to keep the morale up. And I think the interesting part, I, I know Luke Richardson as of late has been kind of answering some questions about how to keep the guys positive. And I don't want to say it's easy for Luke Richardson, but Luke Richardson knew, knew what he was signing up for when the Blackhawks kind of stripped down the roster. I think where it's difficult is the guys in the room where the, the players inside that locker room, Debrinkit, Doc, Strom, Kubelik, all of those guys were subtracted from them. And so now it's kind of like, hey, good luck this year with, you know, with this group. Right. So I think for, for the players, they they they're probably having a tough time navigating this losing streak. And you can even see it when we were asking Jake McCabe after Thursday's game. He just was very, you know, he's like, we're working our asses off. We're trying to get out of this. You know, I asked him a question about how tough it is to not win at home and he's like yep it's tough like very short you know like you can definitely feel the frustration in that locker room and depending on who you talk to i guess like some guys are obviously trying to stay positive but for a guy like jake mccabe that's been in buffalo and hasn't really experienced a lot of winning there he comes to chicago thinking that he signed a four-year deal on a team that the trajectory was on the upswing same with Seth jones they're not exactly getting that so you can imagine the frustration james when these losses start to pile up, how to keep the morale up uh, in that locker room. Yeah, we saw this at the beginning of last season, right? When the Blackhawks got off to that hideous start under Jeremy Colleton, just the team looked like the wind had been knocked completely out of their sails. They were making very simple mistakes. Honestly, you saw that some last night in the Vegas game. I think for the most part that the Blackhawks have been able to kind of keep that energy level up on the ice. They've always been the team that's kind of tried hard, even in the face of adversity this season. It's something that we've shouted out numerous times on this podcast, but I think ultimately as those losses start to pile up and the the pain and the, you know, irritation of losing start to really grind on you. I think you're really starting to see that with the Blackhawks and some of the goals that they allowed last night were very simple defensive lapses, right? The, the shorthanded goal really stood out to me because you had three guys essentially just watching the puck, right? Like you had Patrick Kane contesting as the puck came into the zone in that shorthanded situation prevented the scoring chance 
they just didn't clean it up after that. And they just, again, started watching the puck, kind of stood around, allowed the trailer to come in and score the easy shorty. It was just, it's one of those moments. It kind of reminds you of the amount of distance the Blackhawks still need to cover in this rebuild. And it's those kinds of mistakes. I think that ultimately when you're pressing as hard as they are and you're getting as discouraged as they are, it's those kinds of mistakes. I think that are going to kind of rear their ugly heads more and more often and just kind of make this honestly, even a more painful process until they can get out of that cycle. On that shorthanded goal in particular, let's just discuss the five forwards approach on the power play. Now we all, all understood it when Seth, Jones was out of the lineup with the broken thumb and then Caleb was was being asked to do a lot. And so they kind of were like, okay, let's try this five forward approach. Well, Seth is, you know, healthy. Uh, Is this does this speak to trying to take the quarterbacking duties away from Seth on on the number one power play? Uh, Is it a defensive liability to put those five forwards out there? What's your guys take on that? So I think the thinking of going five forwards on the first unit and then two defensemen on the second is that the five forwards on the first unit are probably going to be out there for about a minute and 30. And then that second unit is going to get probably the four, the last 40 to 30 seconds. So I think you want to have two defensemen out there as opposed to like, I think I've found myself watching Hawks games as of late where um, I, I can't remember which game it was, but I think it was Philip Kurashev and, and, Patrick Kane, like they were on the ice and, you know, you hear the goalie stick tap and like guys coming out of the box and like no forward went to the bench to, to come <laughs> on for the extra for the second defenseman. So maybe that's Luke, Luke Richardson's way of saying, OK, we'll actually put a second defenseman out there so they don't have to make that decision and we'll go with five forwards. But I do think this is we're, we're seeing a lot more teams do this. So Florida did this a lot last year where they ran five forwards on the power play and Alexander Barkov was the point person. I know Boston experienced it um, in the preseason where David Krejci was running the point. And then guys, I went, I came home after Thursday's game and I fired up the NHL network to kind of catch the highlights of the, the night nightcap. Montreal was running a five forward power play unit and Kirby doc was the point. So they did not have a defenseman either. I think if you want to have a five forward power play though that point person has to be more of a defensive minded uh forward, forward. right and and gee charlie you know? who, who was playing the point last night for the blackhawks when they had the five-man <laughs> unit out there well it was patrick kane and i think oh, the, re- <laughs> the defensive minded patrick kane there you go the i think the reason why they they have patrick kane on, running the point there is because he is such a good quarterback as far as like okay I know where to get the puck when I'm in the offensive zone, but when there was a situation and I actually have a bigger, like the turnover in the offensive zone is maybe the, the uh, bigger cause for concern because you know, you have five forwards on the power play. Like you shouldn't be making that pass. If you're Tyler Johnson, who I thought was Taylor Radish and he had to correct me on live television uh, the other night, by the way. Uh, But there was such, there was such breakdowns on the other end that like when Patrick Kane, it was a great back check on the, on William Carlson, but then they got three forwards looking at Carlson after he swings around and nobody's covering Riley Smith. And it's easy to put that on Patrick Kane, but there were also, you have an extra guy on the ice. So like there should be multiple people covering the the man in the slot. So it's just, I don't mind the five uh, forward power play. Um, but then it begs the question, guys, who, who then do you put running the point? Is it Jonathan Taves? Like, uh, you know, I, I just don't know. They don't really have that defensive minded forward 
that could run the the point offensively really well, but also be the first guy back on on a potential odd man rush the other way. And, and Taves works so well in front of the net too. It's usually hard to get him out from that spot unless you're going to put him out on the side. I feel like you want him to be a little bit deeper into the zone just based on the skill set that he has on the power play. And I will also say, like it may have seemed like a pot shot against Patrick Kane. I did mention earlier he made a nice back check, so. No offense, number 88. I was just being silly and making a comment on Charlie's point. The only guides that I had really thought of to potentially play that point position were I thought of Philip Kurashev just because he's been playing with a lot of energy lately. I've noticed him a lot in these recent games, even while the Blackhawks have been losing. He's not the most defensively sound player, but you've had him bouncing back and forth between that second line role in that third line role. So you've kind of been relying on him to play at least a little bit of defense recently. And he does have kind of that speed element to his game too. So I thought maybe he would be an interesting guy to kind of slide out to the point and see if maybe he would work. But yeah, there's just, there's no, there's no player that really fits that mold to a T. There's no Barkoff that you're going to be able to put back there on the power play and get that kind of result that you want with the defensively responsible guy who also has the speed, you know, to create offense on that end. So, yeah, not really a uh, ideal situation, but I just thought it was really interesting. You mentioned that you kind of want the defensively responsible guy, and yet there was number 88 patrolling the blue line yeah. last night. Well, look. I think we all agree he's the best facilitator uh, on the ice. So from right. that standpoint, yeah. uh, I, I get it. I get it. He 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 can sauce pass backhand, forehand. He he can get the puck wherever he wants. And we've actually seen him improve getting pucks to the net in the last week or so as he's been you know taking this new task on. Like he said a couple of weeks ago, he's never done this, and it's it's amazing. Sixteen year NHL career. This is the first time, you know, he is a quarterbacking uh, the power play unit. What I think is, okay, so he's he fits the 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 role of great facilitator, passer, doesn't have a hard shot, but has a a really good wrist shot that, you know, his his ability to walk the line a little bit or find openings to get pucks through, he he checks that box as well. The problem I have is they're not a dynamic enough uh, power play unit to hold on to the puck, which, you know, you need to have puck possession that, you know, what comes first, losing the puck or having the defensive minded forward ready to go back. Like, right. Um, I, I just don't think they have a dynamic skill set to hold on to the puck uh, and, 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 open themselves up to the odd man rush going the other way. Right. <laughs> Pat, Pat, you literally just described the team's entire problem in like a couple of words. They're not <laughs> dynamic enough to hold on to the puck. There ends the conversation, sure. literally whether they're on the power play or any. Right. I mean, that's, you know, and if he, yeah, so, <laughs> uh, huh. so, uh, you, you know, back to the, the initial thing, like I thought early in the year, this team was seeing, you know, little bits and glimmers of, of hope and success in their modest wins here and there early on, which, you know, is the payoff to the hard work and the sacrifice and the, uh, the dogged mentality that, you know, Luke and, and Kyle and everybody wants to see this team play with. Now it's like, 
you're asking the same thing. You're asking for, you know, a desperate approach and where there's not the payoff isn't there. You know, you're going 22 games. You've only won two or three in that in that span. Uh, And the other thing that my biggest issue is this team seems to wait to when they're down to find that next gear of desperation, you know, or two goals down before we see it from them. Rarely do you see it from them out of the gates to start, you know, a first period. So uh, that, that to me has been, you know, the Achilles heel of this team pretty much from the get go. Yeah. But I also think that it's, it's so hard for teams like Chicago. And you look at a lot of teams at the bottom of the standings, like Anaheim and and Columbus, like it's so hard for those teams to, to play a hundred percent every night because like that, you know, we talked about it a couple years ago when the Blackhawks were on their a game, they could beat a lot of like, you know, they could hang in with the, the upper echelon teams, but when they resort to their B game, they're just, they're just not skilled enough to, to kind of compete. And the Vegas game specifically, like they were without Jack Eichel, Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo. And it still felt like Vegas it's not like they were skating circles around the Blackhawks. Like at the beginning of the game, I think they were out shooting them um, nine, nine to one or something, or maybe that was the previous game. But anyway, it felt like Vegas was controlling the game early on, but then it felt kind of even um, at least at even strength, the, the, the rest of the way. So like the Blackhawks were hanging in. It wasn't like Vegas was just totally skating circles around Chicago, but I just think that's the talent gap between Chicago and Vegas. And so when you're asking the Blackhawks to play a full 60 minute effort. It's like, they know psychologically that they have to play a full 60 minutes just to give themselves a chance to win. Like they, it's not like, you know, the Stanley cup era where the Blackhawks can just kind of coast for the first 50 or 55 minutes. And then be like, all right, now, now we'll try when our backs against the wall and the other team is, you know, kind of gassed. Like it's just, it's mentally, it's more mentally exhausting than it is physically to play that way. Well, and they're also playing not to make mistakes, I think. And that's a big part of the, you know, the motivation of losing constantly is you're so terrified of making a mistake and causing another loss that you end up playing uh, super tight. There's not really that flow to the game, whether it's on the power play or at even strength. I feel like the Blackhawks are very, very fits and starts with their offense right now. It doesn't seem like there's a logical flow to it as it moves up the ice and as they get set up in the offensive zone. There were times last night that they were able to kind of get some possessions going. I think of early in the first period, they were holding Vegas kind of off the off of shots. They weren't really allowing much in the way of offense there. The third period, I thought the Blackhawks later in the game were starting to finally get some pressure. It culminated finally in the Taylor Radish goal late in the game. But there are so many stretches in that game where you can just tell they're gripping their sticks a little bit tighter. They're not making the passes they need to make. They're overthinking every single thing that they do. I I think it's that kind of terror of making that first mistake and allowing that first goal. It's really limiting them and what they're able to do. And I think it probably has led to some of their slow starts because they're just playing so tight right now that they're not thinking to themselves, all right, it's game time. Let's get going. It's, oh God, we got to make sure that this doesn't, you know, spiral downhill all over again. It's a really weird uh, place that they find themselves in. What's this podcast going to be like in March when more pieces are subtracted from this roster and we're talking about trying to keep morale up? Like, 
<laughs> it'll be the we'll, we're gonna rename this pod the rockford ice hog stock podcast is <laughs> or, or, or we'll have Corey pronman on every two weeks and he can uh, remind us of how awesome some of the prospects are that are coming into the league via the traps <laughs> that that's all i can think of uh so we all we tend to turn to other things that are going on milestones ovechkin coming to town uh you know don't look over here look over here uh so let's talk about the milestone that's going to happen on sunday evening uh jonathan taze and patrick kane are going to play in their 1000th game together think about this guys they're just the 13th pair 13th pair in national hockey league history to play a thousand games together, that is exclusive company. Aren't isn't uh, Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook? Aren't they one to? Aren't they another pair? Like, haven't they played a thousand games together? Or am I? I would think this? so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, I think they're they're one of the other ones. Uh, the so, Dean twins would come to mind as well. Yep, yep. So Jonathan Taves told a really funny story after morning skate on Thursday, just talking about the relationship of Pat him and Patrick Kane. Um, just growing up and he was like in in some ways we've really matured in other ways we've really um, you know we've stayed immature right so it was kind of funny but the story he told was you know were there ever times when you guys when Patrick and Jonathan were line mates and they kind of like got at it on the bench and he goes you know yeah there were definitely some times but one story that uh, Jonathan shared was when when Dustin Bufflin was their line mate when it was Kane Taves and Bufflin on that first line and he, and he said, sometimes, you know, Patrick and I, he's like, Patrick and I were good. We were, you know, we were flowing, whatever we, and then we'd get off the ice after a shift and Dustin Bufflin would kind of like poke the bear and he would be like, why didn't you pass to, to Jonathan on that play? And like kind of po- prod at Patrick. And then Jonathan would be, you know, look at Patrick like, yeah, why didn't you pass? And then he'd like Patrick and Jonathan would just start fighting on the bench and Bufflin's laughing because he's the one that kind of started it. Like they, there was nothing wrong with the two of them. So um, I just think it's funny the way it, I, I've always said this too. when I reflect back on their careers, like it felt like when when Patrick and Jonathan broke into the league, Jonathan was way more serious about everything. Right. And Patrick Kane was really like Lucy Goosey. And it feels like that the the roles have reversed, like the longer Jonathan's career has gone on, the more you see him kind of showing his true personality and being goofy on the ice. And, and Patrick is kind of like, is so driven, so serious um, about honing his craft. So it's just funny how the roles really reversed as the, as the two uh, players, careers have gone on. Definitely. And it's, it's still wild. Like we're always going to associate those two players together and kind of watching their evolution over the years has been one of the most noteworthy things about this entire enterprise for the Blackhawks. And when you mentioned the statistic, Pat, about them playing a thousand games together, I thought to myself, well, logically, of course, but then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, that really is an uncommon thing, especially in today's NHL with injuries and with, you know, how often players move. It's remarkable that it's, you know, happened 13 times, frankly. And it's crazy that we're hitting that milestone with these guys that we remember as 18, 19 year olds. And now the sands of time have passed. Like there, <laughs> we've had so many of those instances on this show recently with like Marion Hosa's Jersey retirement and Patrick Kane hitting 1200 points and, we're getting old guys. It's, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of wild seeing that by the way, Charlie, I did. I attempted to look up thousand game teammates. I did not see Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith on the list. 
would imagine they have. I just couldn't find it. Alex Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom just marked that milestone last season, apparently. So mm. not, not very many active teammates that are in that category either. And they would have done this a lot sooner had uh, Taves not missed that entire season. Um, yeah. You know, you, you look at it, it, it's really a case of opposites attract with Kane and Taves. I mean, they're linked together. They could not be uh, further apart in their style of play, in, uh, in, in their personalities. I do agree with you, Charlie, that, you know, Taves came into this league probably as a, you know, a 40 year, you know, he was, he was, you know, a 19 year old, but he was going on 40 and, yeah. uh, and Patrick was, you know, a 19 year old, probably going on, you know, 17. And he probably <laughs> stayed in that mode for, for a little while. And as both have matured, the Taves has found ways to let his hair down a little bit and to, to try to, see some of the uh the the fun of the game and i really think that year away has i'm I'm looking forward to talking to him uh one-on-one about this down the road like how that year away from hockey is making him appreciate just being on the ice for this season and 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 able to endure the losing and the tough days and the tough grind because for so long he wondered if he'd ever have hockey in his, his life again. So um, I I really do think it's, it's, you know, people say like, Oh, they're such great friends. And I think they, they're, they're, they're great teammates to each other. They, they're, they highly respect one another. Uh, But like they're, they're, they they are two really different individuals. And I think this is a a case where opposites attract and it's, it's worked out really nicely for 16 years. Yeah, no question. And and it really helped that they they kind of went on this journey together where they always had one or the other, right? Like when, you know, Sidney Crosby came into the league, like he got so much attention and there was so much pressure on his shoulders coming into Pittsburgh. But with, with in Chicago, it was always Kane and Taves, Kane and Taves. Like it was never one or the other. And they always kind of had each other to lean on. And they obviously were entering a team in 2007 when they were back on the upswing where it was like Duncan Keith and Patrick Sharp. And there were a lot of these veterans around, but there, there was a lot of pressure on them at the time to kind of restore this franchise and, and bring the, the franchise back to glory. And, you know, Patrick and Jonathan both said we were kind of just naive and stupid at the time. So we didn't really feel that pressure. So I also think they didn't feel that pressure though, because they kind of went through it together. No, no, no one really had to shoulder the, the burden of all of that, that weight. Yeah, and I'm glad Pat mentioned us, or uh, one of you guys mentioned Sidney Crosby. My apologies, but yeah, that's a really good comparison with where Pittsburgh was in terms of their hockey team and how close they had come to losing the Penguins. And Sidney Crosby helped to kind of turn that around, and Kane and Taves did a very similar thing here in Chicago. The team got onto television, and we all know the history of it, but yeah, the the arc of that just it it's so much different if it wasn't both of them that had done it together so the thousand game milestone is just another one it just illustrates how special that pairing has been and how fortunate we've all been to see it yeah i i think it's a great point about the 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 duo and and how you know you divide responsibilities and john johnny's always at least early on was always 
you know, the figurehead, so to speak, the captain, the one that had to stand up after the losses or being down 3-1 in a series or, you know, sticking up for teammates in fights or what have you and 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 talking about that kind of thing. And, and Patrick was always, you know, able to kind of be his creative self and do what he wanted to do. But you've seen in the last, since 2015, 2016, like this, much more serious, we call him a hockey nerd, Patrick Kane, where, mm-hmm. you know, he's very introspective and, and uh, he's got the historical perspective and uh, talks a lot about the team and his, has been a facilitator to guys like the Brinkett and others. Um, but I really think, like, the fact that they had success early in their career, like, it's what is – is allowing them to play a thousand games together. Like if 2010 doesn't happen and 11 and 12 unfolds the way it did where they're one and dones, you know, nobody sits around in professional sports and says, yeah, let's run it back. You know, like right. they, they, they make changes, you know, like our, our Temi Panarin is, is, is moved. And you're like, what? Um, yeah. But like that, that happens when there's not success in the playoffs. Uh, Luckily, they had success in just their first couple of years in the league at the winning the cup, which kind of uh, gave them a couple get out of jail free cards, so to speak, and 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 allowed this team to keep its core together uh, even in the one and done years. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, like that that 2010 team specifically, like that that was probably going to get dismantled whether they won or lost because they sure. were they were they were going up against the the salary cap in a lot of ways, and obviously wasn't as high um, as as it is now back then. So yeah, it's it's a good point too. Like I, I'm sure that really fueled them in many ways because I also think once they tasted that success, it almost it's almost like they wanted it even more, even more to taste it again, right? Like we see a lot of the great players like. You know Nathan McKinnon, they win a Stanley Cup, and he said, "We we want we want another one." You know, and so th- those are a, that's how a lot of those great players are wired. And the fact that Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane are both wired like that, like sometimes you get one that's like really talented, but they're eh, they kind of just do hockey for a living. Like they are both, um, they are both very talented, but they're both like overachievers as well because they wanted to like out outwork um everyone in the and you know what i mean so it, it was it's just it was a perfect blend think about ovechkin right what was the what was the uh the story on him prior to him finally winning uh, a stanley cup you can't win with ov you know yeah, individual like, player individual you know? play, yeah. right and 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 you know he didn't achieve success until late in his career um it, it is it's interesting to see how things i mean I still think of the time, I guess it was, was it Sochi in 2014 where people were like, uh, was it, they wanted uh, Sidney Crosby to call Jonathan Taves to see if it was okay to be the captain of Team Canada. Wasn't that oh, the yeah. story? Yep, yep, it was. <laughs> Doesn't that seem ridiculous for me to say that right now? Lord. Yeah. I mean, but at the time, like that, it was. It was Matt, yeah, it I was, get it. it. I remember Jeremy Roenick went on national television and said, I'd take Jonathan Taves right now over, over Sidney Crosby, you know, and, and I, it's not a knock. I, I, like when we look at that, it's kind of funny to hear, but it, it's not, it's more of a, like, that's how, that's how high of a level Jonathan Taves was playing. At and, the well, time. Plus it was two cups to one cup at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, so let's talk a little bit about OB the other night. Uh, biggest takeaway from that, James? What did what did you uh, what did you think about his 800th night? First of all, I want to shout out Shannon Hayden over at NBC Five, who before the game started said she was rooting for an OV hat trick, so he'd hit 800, and she'd have something good to put on the sports cast. Guess what? He did. So, <laughs> shout out to her, but also I think a shout out does need to go. And Peter Laviolette did this as well. Blackhawks fans, the way they reacted to that 800th goal, I thought was really awesome. It was a really historic moment. It's so insane to even think about the fact that Ovechkin is breathing the same air now that, you know, Gordie Howe and Wayne Gretzky did. And the fact the Blackhawk fans took time to acknowledge that and to give that a good standing ovation and the raucous atmosphere that you saw in the UC when that happened. Got to give him credit. It was really cool. It reminded me a lot of the way Montreal fans reacted when Marc-Andre Fleury got win number 500. Just that respect that they had for the history of the game. And I'm glad to see Blackhawk fans kind of return that favor for somebody making history on their home ice. Yeah, when Ovi scored 24 seconds into the game, I'm like, he's getting three tonight. I mean, it was almost like, I mean... And especially there was just a lot going on, like Dylan Strom's return. So like you knew there was probably money on the board and they probably were excited about that. And obviously Eric Gustafson as well. Um, but I, w- I want to mention this. If if you're looking for I, I think we all in different sports when LeBron's in town or when other Giannis is in town, like you, that, that um, a lot of NBA fans want to go to those types of games. I was reflecting this on my drive home after the Washington game. Think about what we've witnessed at the United Center so far. When Connor McDavid was in town, he had a hat trick and a four point night, right? Sidney Crosby was in town a few weeks ago for the host tonight, four points game winning goal at the end. And then what do we witness on Tuesday against Washington Ovechkin hat trick 800th goal? Like these are the premier players in the national hockey league. Um, and so it's just, it, it's, when you take a step back, obviously it stings if you're a Blackhawks fan, but if you take a step back as a hockey fan, like you should like appreciate that these players are playing at such a high level. Like it's must see TV just to watch Patrick Kane on a nightly basis. But then when their other opponents like Govechkin and Crosby, McDavid, didn't even mention Dryside, I think he had a four pointer in there too. I mean, it, there's some special performances being displayed at the United Center um, this season, um, which is probably reflective of the, of the Blackhawks as a team. Um, but I, I don't I didn't have a problem with the way like Chicago kind of showered Ovechkin and showed their appreciation. Like I'm sure it's stung uh, for like guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, but how many moments have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves done that on the road to opponents, right? So I think it was it was pretty special to kind of see that at the United Center and to go into the locker room after and and just see all the hats that were showered into Ovechkin's locker room and he's taking pictures with the three pucks. It's like that stuff like you know, people are going to people that were in the building that night are going to tell their their kids and their grandkids one day because that's how special it was. Yep. Yeah. Jeff Corbett's one of our great photographers, NBC Sports Chicago. He was in the visitors locker room and uh, it was capturing that the entire uh, scene as he came off the ice. And uh, I was texting with him this morning and he you know, he's been doing this over 30 years, including covering Jordan's uh, six championships and he said it was one of the highlights of his career to be in that small setting that that environment where they're showering him with beers and you know he's like he's the hockey player's hockey player right like he yeah. he, 
He stood up there at the end. He was like, he, 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 he was almost ready to shotgun another or something like that. It was, it was pretty funny. Um, I'm with you, James, on the crowd part of it. I thought, uh, I could, could you tell Charlie how many Capitals fans? Like, I mean, there, there was a, a good number of Capital jerseys that I saw. Yeah, but, there was a sizable uh, they're amount. They're not known to travel like Blackhawks fans right. travel. Right. Yeah, there were there were definitely a sizable amount. Like you can feel it when Ovechkin when he definitely scored the first goal, and then when he scored the second goal, like the the crowd just and maybe it was like a louder kind of celebration um, because it was Ovechkin. Like you knew, like oh man, he's getting closer. Like he he might hit it tonight, um, and it, it got to a point where I thought he might hit he might tie Gordy Howe that night too. Like yeah, that's yeah. How, that's how much he was going. So I'm going to credit the NHL. We 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 take a lot of shots at them on this uh, on this podcast, and rightfully I mean, uh, so. <laughs> rightfully so. They're very reactionary, but they were actually proactive in this case when they saw on the schedule that there was the opportunity for Ovechkin to possibly be in that eight neighborhood of 800. They made the switch late last week, mm-hmm. uh, putting that game on ESPN. And again, it wasn't on ESPN Plus; it was on the mothership ESPN. Uh, so give them credit for being proactive and rolling the dice a little bit. Now I will say this, and I got a lot of friends over at at, at, at ESPN. That was a rough broadcast. That mm. broadcast, the, the reason why you are there is to capture Alex Ovechkin scoring milestone goals. Uh-huh. First goal of the game, <laughs> they're in videotape uh, showing Chris Chelios announce now very cool i liked seeing chelly do it but do it in a timeout do it when ovi's not on the ice oh my god they they <laughs> they, they missed the goal i mean I, you, you just, can't miss the goal i i was laughing so hard in the newsroom when that happened because i was just like that is the most espn and nhl thing to possibly do <laughs> to a moment like it's like oh chelly's introducing the lineup and you're like guys game action game and then you see a vetchkin score you're like that really just happened and chelly's still reading off the names from the whiteboard as they the camera just focuses on the goal <laughs> on the goalkeeper and literally Ovechkin's off somewhere else not on camera it was priceless and then <laughs> and look i love me some steve levy i do i love steve <laughs> but the second goal he didn't know that it was ov's goal until uh. at least Eight to ten seconds after it was in the back. I mean, like someone else. Ovechkin, Ovechkin. Why we're here? Why we're here? Eight, number eight. Did it again. Did it again. I, I did. I will say to ESPN's credit on one thing for sure. They know how to shout out these types of moments and to kind of play them up really big. Having the giant Ovechkin goal counter at the bottom of the screen. That was the most ESPN thing they could do, and it felt great to see the NHL be brought up to that like level of excitement and that scale. Did it not like that? I loved that. Like, give me all of that. It, it was very cool because they. I thought like I kept looking up at the broadcast, you know, because like we have a TV in the press box, so like sometimes like you'll peek, you know, I, I look up. And it's got the graphic. It was just like seven ninety nine, and I like I thought it was more like a like a bottom line where it just kind of flips and then it'll go away, right? Like they kept it up there the entire game after he scored the second. So I thought that was really cool. And then the fact that they they it like led right into Scott Van Pelt 
and like Scott Van Pelt, like they were just showing the inside the locker room. Like it, that was that was really cool, and that was that I, it was great. It was so perfect that the it was on ESPN, um, even though it kind of coincided with with an NFL Sunday. The fact that the the NHL got that kind of attention, and then it just led SVP right after. I thought was very cool. Yeah, it was great to see literally in real time the celebration. And, you know, they were able to show – I mean, they were running OV through the car wash. I mean, he went right on with, with Scott. He went down the hall. To talk. I mean, they were following him every step of the way, and it was it was, it was cool to see that behind-the-scenes stuff. Not bad uh, for not even setting the record, you know? Like, it's <laughs> – all right, you haven't passed Gordy yet, buddy. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the four Blackhawks prospects that made uh, Team Canada: Nolan Allen, Colton Dock, Ethan Del Mastro, and Kevin Korchinski. Yeah, so this was we obviously teased this on the last podcast, the fact that they were going to have um, four. I thought so. Ryan Green was the fifth guy that was invited to Team Canada's camp, and he didn't make it. But guys, in the closeout game for the selection camp he had two goals mm-hmm. it, like yeah. and, and by the way i didn't see this until later he was rooming with connor bedard at team canada's camp so and and, and had a lot of great things to say about bedard he did How humble it, he was and and so here's my thing when we draft connor maybe <laughs> uh, ryan and connor can get a condo together in downtown they could be roommates again since they got along so well at, with team canada Exactly. And so, yeah, it, it was funny. So like Ryan Green, obviously. So I I think Ryan Green would have made the team. But the fact that um, Seattle sent Shane Wright and then I think it was uh, Dylan Gunther went for Air, is Arizona, I'm pretty sure. It kind of squeezed the lineup out. And so it, there would have been a little bit of redundancy. And the, guys, the fact that Ryan Green was a freshman and he got invited, like he, he's a point per game player in college right now. And I think he's 11th in scoring as, as a freshman. Um, or among freshmen, I should clarify. I mean, the fact that he even got invited, I think it, it is a testament to how strong of a season he's having. But uh, they tweeted out the um, the lines the other day. Um, so I think, so Colton Dockett right now is on the outside looking in, which is probably to be expected. But the the defenseman, like number one defenseman on the left side, Del Mastro, number two, Nolan Allen, number three, Kevin Korchinski. And I think, I want to say Korchinski, yeah, he was the he was the power play quarterback for for the second unit. So, I mean, Chicago's prospect are literally anchoring the entire left side of Team Canada's D. What a year for the Blackhawks to have a high pick when there's no real uh, good defenseman available in the top 15. I guess this is a good sign that they're starting to maybe develop some blue liners. They have literally half of the defensive Team Canada is made up of Blackhawk players. I think that that's a really big endorsement of the way that they've been kind of targeting these defensemen and bringing them into the fold. I know that it was a little bit of a surprise, I think, when they drafted Nolan Allen where they did, but he's made some great strides while he's been in the Blackhawks system. And of course, you can't say enough about what Korchinski and Del Mastro have been doing recently. So I'm really thrilled to be able to see those guys all getting into the action for Team Canada. I've been really looking forward to this tournament. I think it's going to be some really good hockey. And this Canadian roster, guys, is just so loaded with talent. You ha- Having Bedard and Fantilli on the same team, boy, and Shane Wright, heck, like this is just, <laughs> it's going to be ridiculous. And by the way, good time for us to talk about this since the Blackhawks now have the fewest points in the NHL. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a loaded team and to see, 
you know, four prospects on it. And like you said, holding down the D, it, it's just uh, it speaks volumes to, uh, you know, hopefully great scouting and great drafting. And hopefully we'll see uh, some of that on display over the next few weeks when the tournament starts just after Christmas. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, one of the kind of the uh, side notes that have uh, is Ryan Reynolds' interest in uh, being a part <laughs> owner of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, there certainly has been uh, interest on both sides. Uh, this needs league, to happen. It needs to happen. Wants it to happen. <laughs> the Senators fans sure as heck want it to happen too. <laughs> sure, and uh, so it, James came up with the idea if there was a a Chicago celebrity or celebrity in general that you would want to be part of the ownership group with the Wurtzes for the Blackhawks, who would it be? Uh, James, since this was your idea, you start us off. Yeah. I'm actually curious to hear who who's at the forefront of your mind. Well, to me, I, th- I feel like if you're going to have an owner, who's going to be like the, of the celebrity vintage, you don't want like a guy who, you know, has a good following, but isn't like, you know, massively well-known so a guy like cm punk who's like dedicated it you know to the blackhawks as anybody that's not the level you're looking at right like you're looking for something higher up and to me there's really only one chicago celebrity that could possibly live up to that billing and live up to that star power that a ryan reynolds would have it's bill murray right like i know he's extremely tied into the cubs has been in all the you know was at all the world series games and all that can you imagine the excitement level that would happen if Bill Murray <laughs> bought into the Blackhawks? Like that would just, that would ratchet everything up so much. There'd be so much made of that. He's such an icon. That's the level of celebrity. I feel like you would need to get involved. If you're going to, if you're going to do it, you may as well do it big. Bill Murray, you're doing it about as big as you can possibly do. That's not where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to go with Vince Vaughn. Because that's where that's where my that's where my my mind went when I thought of Chicago celebrities. He was obviously he was always there, sitting in the 100 level on the glass. Remember when Dave Boland scored that shorty, and he's like he gives a tap to to uh, it was against Philly. I think it was Game Two of the, the Stanley Cup Final in 2010. Mm-hmm. Vince Vaughn is literally sitting right there. Um, that's the guy I had in mind, but I don't know if I'm is that not high enough? Is that just you know I don't know. I mean, he's an incredible actor, and of course, he's been in, you know, a million hilarious movies, but <laughs> I just, Bill Murray's an icon, man, and I'm not, I'm not as sold on Vince Vaughn being at that level, but I mean, who knows? Maybe the listeners will tell me that I'm a complete uh, fool for thinking that way. <laughs> Pat seemed offended by the lack of CM Punk. Yeah, uh, it was, because that's who I'm like, <laughs> so uh, truth be told, uh, I'm a huge Bill Murray guy. I think I've told the story. I mean... We we were we went we had a night drinking at the Super Bowl in 2006. <laughs> drinking Kool Aid. I won't get into it. I won't bore you with the details. But it was one of the greatest nights of my life. Um, so I'm a huge Bill Murray fan. I don't think he loves hockey. You know, I, I know he loves golf. I know he loves the Cubs. I know he loves the Bears. I just don't think hockey's his jam. So I think it would be kind of uh he's got the barack obama vibe it sounds like where he just he vibes really hard with baseball and basketball he likes football but hockey he was what given a free parking pass at the uc for life and i don't think he's ever been to a blackhawks game like (laughs) you're giving me real barack obama vibes here yeah so i i i just don't think it would be up 
you know, his his alley there. Um, He's also like 73 years old. So wouldn't you want someone that's kind of oh, like great. Now Charlie's being ageist here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying what it, like a Ryan Reynolds, like that guy, you know, he's, he's just going to be, you know, he's going to be cutting Alex to Brinkett's checks. Like that's pretty sweet. I'm fairly certain <laughs> Ryan Reynolds is like 40, isn't he? Oh, I, I would I mean, so. that's not 73. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. God. Ages, uh, ages. And, and, and Vince, you know, like he was a, a, a permanent fixture at the United Center during the cup run. You know, he's making a lot of movies here over that time as well. Um, so, you know, he married a girl from Calgary. Uh, you know, I could see it, but he spends most of his time in Los Angeles. I, I think CM Punk would be my guy. I'm going with Phil. Okay. Uh, he's he's the true fan. He still goes to games. Uh, he still texts me all the time during. Well, it doesn't text as much as he used to. <laughs> I don't think he's. I don't think he's watching 19 losses in 22 straight. But um, uh, yeah, I, I would. To me, he's like bona fide, true Blackhawks fan. Knows the game. Knows the players. Like no one appreciated Duncan Keith as much as CM Punk. So like, you know, I feel like for a second there, I thought you were going to go uh, Jim Belushi. Oh man. No, and I was no, going to leap, leap no. through this stream and choke you. Not, no, honestly, if I wasn't going to go with Bill Murray, I would have, I think Vince Vaughn would have had a really compelling okay. case. I think the only other one I thought of that would be a hilarious, like troll on the whole thing would be to have Shania Twain. Since if we're going to have famous Canadians buying into hockey teams, there may not be a more no. famous Canadian than Shania Twain. My like. mom and sister would love that. Mm, just saying, I bet Ryan Reynolds would be slightly jealous if that happened. I guess what we're saying is we don't really have any real big time young celebrities that that are uh, are Blackhawks fans. We can't come up with anybody. Tom Holland's been seen at Rangers games. Maybe have Spider-Man buy into the Blackhawks. Like does Sebastian Maniscalco, uh, you know, does does he like uh, hockey at all? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> for, for, probably not. Uh, hey, the one thing I will say about CM Punk, and this is how big of a Blackhawks fan he is, and we obviously know this, but I'm I'm almost positive he has a he has a Twitter list of all the Blackhawks beat writers because sometimes he'll just. He'll go on like a little bit of a liking spree. And, and like you mentioned, Pat, it hasn't happened a lot this year, but like a lot, it, like in the past, he would always like some big highlights or he would like some of my tweets. And I'm like, how does he, how does he find this? He, he doesn't even follow me. I, I'm almost account. burner account no, no, because it's actually coming from him. I think he has a Twitter list of like all the Blackhawks beat writers and he'll just follow. And like, he'll just, you know, you can create a list, even though you're not following those people. So I think he just he probably he on his follows me. I was going to say, I bet done. CM Punk May- follows Pat. He follows me. He definitely follows I, I you. like you. He sees it on his timeline. Maybe that's. Maybe so I that should your, be thinking Is that your most you. famous uh, Twitter follower, Pat is CM Punk. Uh, I, you know, I don't even know. I no, I think there's no, I think there's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> All right, that's the wrap on this edition of the Blackhawks. Hey, that's a that's a perfect Friday end to a podcast, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, that's going to do it for the Blackhawks Talk podcast for uh, the Ryan Reynolds lover, James Nouveau, and for Charlie Romeliotis. I am Pat Boyle. CM Punk forever. Peace out. <laughs>
Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.